Welcome to this edition of Code Talk, the concise podcast to help you get to know the National Electrical Code. I'm your host, Frank Seiler, based in Spokane, Washington, and today's episode is Article 240, Overcurrent Protection, Two Key Definitions. So yes, today we'll focus on just two definitions that are unique to Article 240. We will answer the following questions. How is a standard overcurrent device different from one that is labeled current limiting? And what is a supervised industrial installation? So that's our topic. Sounds pretty simple because one usually assumes that if a definition is within one code article, it will only apply there. And that is usually correct. But a quick search in the NEC shows that Article 240 rules that are controlled by these two terms have far-reaching applications in various parts of the code. So the first one, current limiting overcurrent protective devices. When we take a look at right at the beginning of Article 240 under definitions, it defines this particular kind of fuse or solid-state device. It says a device that, when interrupting currents, in its current limiting range, reduces the current flowing into the faulted circuit to a magnitude substantially less than that obtainable in the same circuit if the device were replaced with a solid conductor, having comparable impedance. Now, to rephrase, this is an overcurrent device, typically a fast-acting fuse, that reduces the fault current to a magnitude When we think of orders of magnitude, that's usually expressed in multiples of tens or hundreds. So orders of magnitude substantially less than if we did not have a current limiting device in its place. Now, where do we find that? Well, inside of Article 240, we find 240.60 that mentions this kind of an overcurrent device several times. 240.60b says these shall be non-interchangeable between 0 and 6,000 ampere cartridge fuse holders. They shall be designed so that it will be difficult to put a fuse of any given class into a fuse holder that is designed for a current lower or voltage higher than that of the class to which the fuse belongs. Fuse holders for current limiting fuses shall not permit insertion of fuses that are not current limiting. And so there are several ways to accomplish that. Uh, The most common is that we've got a rejection feature that is installed within the disconnecting means so that the fuse itself will not fit unless it has a notch in uh, uh, in the stab or a ring in the ferrule. And so it's a specific shape of fuse that fits. If we try to put a standard fuse in there, Either we couldn't place it properly or there'd be a spring that would try to push it back out. 240.60c is entitled Marking. Fuses shall be plainly marked, either by printing on the fuse barrel or by a label attached to the barrel showing the following. And here we have the things that we would normally expect, the ampere rating, the voltage rating, the interrupting rating for other than 10,000 amperes. But the fourth item in the list, current limiting where applicable. 
and of course the name or trademark of the manufacturer so that we could find a cut sheet for that particular fuse. So those five, five items. But the fourth one is important, current limiting where applicable. And so sometimes we'll find that another standard fuse might fit. It might actually go into, say, our, our multimeter. And uh, the multimeter that I use has an 11 amp high speed or fast acting fuse that's part of the installation. It is current limiting. It prevents the meter from becoming a hand grenade if it's left in the incorrect setting and then voltage is measured uh, across it. But if we were to replace that with a much cheaper fuse and we left it in the wrong setting, that would be dangerous. Now, current limiting fuse is a type of fuse that's designed for operations related to short circuits only. When a fuse operates in its current limiting range, it'll begin to melt in less than a quarter of a cycle, and it will open a bolted short circuit in less than half a cycle. This type of fuse limits the instantaneous peak let-through current to a value substantially less than what would occur if the same circuit had a standard fuse or even a solid conductor of equal impedance or ohm value installed. If the available short circuit current exceeds the equipment or the conductor's uh, short circuit current rating, then the thermal and magnetic forces would cause the equipment circuit conductors, as well as the equipment grounding conductors, to shear off, to vaporize. They would rattle so hard inside of the enclosures that they would likely uh, pull out of the uh, the sockets pull out of the lugs and cause much, much damage. Now, the only solutions to the problem of excessive available fault current is to either install equipment that has a higher short circuit current rating or protect the components of the circuit by something that is current limiting, a current limiting overcurrent device such as a fast clearing fuse. And this can greatly reduce the let through energy. And so you might say, well, standard breaker or fuse, doesn't that limit current? Well, actually it does not. A standard breaker or a standard fuse does not limit current. It merely reacts to an overcurrent, and it will have a reaction time of several cycles. As such, it will let through the available fault current for a period of time before clearing, maybe a tenth of a second. A thermomagnetic circuit breaker typically clears a fault in three to five cycles when subjected to a short circuit or a ground fault of 20 times its rating. In contrast, a standard fast-acting fuse will clear the same fault in less than a half cycle, or a full cycle, pardon me, and a current limiting fuse in less than a half of a cycle. So that really is the key difference. In clearing a fault in less than a half cycle, the maximum available fault current is not permitted to be reached before the fuse clears. I'll link to an excellent article by Thomas Dimitrovich in the March and April edition of IAI magazine. That's March and April 2016. And it really dives deep into the topic of current limiting fuses with a couple of excellent graphics and linked videos. Now for a second term in the definitions. Supervised industrial installations. Here's how it reads. For the purposes of Part 8, the industrial portions of a facility where all of the following conditions are met. And there are three of them. The first one is conditions of maintenance and engineering supervision ensure that only qualified persons monitor and service the system. The second, 
The premises wiring system has 2,500 kVA or greater of load used in industrial processes, manufacturing activities, or both, as calculated in accordance with Article 220. And the third one is, the premises has at least one service or feeder that is more than 150 volts to ground and more than 300 volts phase to phase. And then an informational note. This definition excludes installations in buildings used by the industrial facility for offices, warehouses, garages, machine shops, and recreational facilities that are not an integral part of the industrial plant, substation, or control center. So there are two th key things about the definition. One that is, it's specific to this article, Article 240. And the second is that all three of the conditions in the definition have to be met. Now before we see what this definition enables, it's important to distinguish what this definition is not. There's similar wording in the NEC that does not apply here. For example, if we go to 518.3b, and there are many examples like this, we find an exception. It says, where conditions of supervision and maintenance ensure that only qualified persons will service the installation. Flexible cords or cables identified in Table 400.4 for hard usage or extra hard usage shall be permitted in cable trays used only for temporary wiring. There are plenty of other places in the code that talk about conditions of supervision and maintenance, and these usually give some leeway about a particular installation or servicing requirement that is less stringent if the installation is serviced by electricians dedicated to that particular facility with documented procedures. Now here in Article 240, the term supervised industrial installations deserves a full Roman numeral part, that is, several sections of the article. If all three of these conditions are met, what can be done that is different than just the normal rules of the code? Well, 240.91 gives a limited roundup rule for breakers and fuses above 800 amperes. Generally, there is no roundup rule, 240.4. However, in this case, 240.91b says that the conductor has to be rated at least 95% of the overcurrent device and protected adequately against the heating effects of short circuits and ground faults. 240.92b also gives exceptions for tap conductors, with permissions to deviate from 240.21. Tap conductors are considered to be protected under short circuit conditions when their short circuit current temperature limit is not exceeded, and a formula for both aluminum and copper conductors is given to determine these limits. Now one thing to note is that unlike Article 310, opacity formulas Engineering supervision is not explicitly required here, though in my mind it would be highly unlikely that systems of this nature would not rely heavily on engineering design. Just as in 240.21b, there is a consideration of just straight feeder taps, however at a distance not to exceed 100 feet, and also transformer taps. Now you might wonder why this topic at merited a few minutes of our time, why it got highlighted in the podcast, even though most of us would never ever require the use of this particular code section. In my mind, there are really three take-home points. One, we need to be careful with wording that is similar, but has different applications. 
such as this strict definition of a supervised industrial installation. Second, it gives us insight into the premise that there is more than one way to accomplish the goal of achieving electrical safety. If more stringent controls are in place to limit access, to ensure only qualified persons maintain a facility, some of the expected protections to safeguard Joe Public are not as necessary. In fact, we find this balance of physical versus electrical protections in many places. But in a few, we also see that other types of controls, such as engineering controls, specific procedures, they can be used to manage the risk of electrical installations. Thirdly, we might want to analyze why a particular protective method actually works. For example, take a look at the formula in Table 240.92b and try to work out how the short circuit temperature is determined. Now, it's not elementary math, but if you dust off your high school math skills, you can solve it. Here's the point, though, and thanks for hanging in to the end on, on this podcast. If you take a look at the formula, you find a couple of letters that we're very familiar with. The small letter T in the formula. That's the clearing time of the overcurrent device. And the capital letter I? That's the available short circuit current in amperes. Now, if we were to plug in values for a standard fuse or breaker that has a clearing time of multiple cycles into that formula, the resultant temperature limit is quite high. Substitute in a current limiting fuse, and both of these values become rather small and make it much, much easier to comply with the requirements for the short circuit temperature limits. All right, so that is our episode exploring two of the specific definitions unique to Article 240. Next time, we'll reel it back in a little bit. Join us as we look at the standard TAP rules in 240.21b and the various places that these might come in handy. Whether we're doing commercial work or residential work, these TAP rules have their use. Now, if you found this episode on a site other than our website, please head on over to www.inw-training.com where I will post some lecture notes. I will try to get them up in the next couple of days along with some examples. Take a look at the two graphs that show the difference in let-through current if you don't have a current limiting fuse versus one where you do. Also, check out the IAI Magazine link that is going to be there. Until next time, this is your host, Frank Seiler, signing off from Spokane, Washington.